Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Who Is This God? A study of Exodus 34, 6-7. Through this important scripture, we'll learn that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Thanks for joining us. So the thing that comes to mind when I think about God is that He is constant. He's been in a constant presence in my life, um, regardless of where I was at, whether I was pursuing Him or not, He was always pursuing me, and just feeling that constant presence of Him throughout my life, being able to look back and know that I might have been really far away from Him, but He was never far. So yeah, I wouldn't say I've always thought of Him as being this constant presence, but now looking back, like He's always been there for me and with me, even if I wasn't near Him at all. So 10 years ago, um, honestly, I probably would have avoided the question <laughs> um, because I know that like just asking that question, I knew a change would have to come in my life because I wasn't necessarily doing what he would would have wanted for me. Um, so yeah, I probably would have avoided it or just given a generic answer, you know, like God is loving and kind, which is true, but I never experienced it the way that I have since then. It's like this ever constant pursuing of him just saying like forget what Satan says about you forget what he's the lies that he's feeding you as far as who who you are and look at who I can make you to be if you give your life to me um, so it's kind of just that whole process of constantly um, listening to that voice and saying like okay I don't I don't know what you have in store but I'm ready for whatever that is on August 19th 1999 I stood before a beautiful woman and I said these words I Steve take you Peggy to be my wife and I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and health, for better and for worse, as long as we both shall live. Here's a picture of me on that day. As you can see, nothing has changed at all <laughs> since that time. Now, in all seriousness, these were some extremely important words that I spoke that day when I entered into a marriage relationship I promised, I made a promise to love and cherish Peggy as long as I live, no matter what happened. And incredibly, if you know Peggy, she agreed to this lopsided deal. Uh, pretty amazing that I pulled that off. But she promised me as well that she would love and cherish me as long as we both shall live. Now, what exactly took place on that day? What is it that we were saying we were doing with one another? We were doing what we would call entering into a marriage covenant, 
And that, friends, is going to be a good model for us to understand this next idea of how God reveals himself in the passage we've been looking at this summer. If you haven't been with us, we're spending six weeks asking this question, who is this God? And the idea behind this series comes to this A.W. Tozer quote. If you're following on your notes, we've been sharing it with you every week. But he said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what, I, what he means by that, what I, why I think that's such an important statement is because everything that we think about life is going to be shaped by how we think about God. And most of us, all of us, quite honestly, tend to form God into our own image. We make God into who we want him to be. And so how do we make sure we have the correct view of who God is? And the way we're doing that is by studying one of the most important, most significant, the most quoted passage of Scripture in Scripture found in Exodus 34. In this passage, God tells us himself who he is. So what better way to know who God is than by getting it straight from his mouth? So let's read it together one more time this week. I have verse 6 on your notes, and then we'll finish in verse 7 on the screen. It says, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now verse seven, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now today we come to this idea that the Lord, we know him as Yahweh, is abounding in love and faithfulness. And so like we did a couple of weeks ago, I want to take both of those words, unpack them individually, and then see how they combine to form this view of how we have to see who this God really is. So let's start with that word, love. Love. It's the Hebrew word here, chesed. I know you want to try that again, so let's go ahead and do that. Make sure you get that thing in your throat. You ready? Chesed. And it's no exaggeration to say that this word is the most important word in the Bible. Unfortunately, because of language differences, the Hebrew word is almost impossible to translate fully into English. In fact, Hebrew scholar Daniel Block says the Hebrew hesed cannot be translated with one English word. This is a covenant term wrapping up itself in all of God's positive attributes. I want you to notice he calls this a covenant term. We're going to come back to that idea in a few minutes because it's the key to understanding this part of who God is. Now, most English translations, maybe yours says this, just translate it as love. That's what the NIV, which we use, translated as. But that doesn't really capture it, especially because in our day and age, when we hear the word love, what immediately comes to mind are these feelings we have for someone that can either come or go. And so for Our purpose is right now, here's how I would define chesed. If you're following on your notes, it is steadfast or unfailing love. It is a promise-keeping love. It's motivated by deep personal care. It encompasses ideas like goodness and kindness and devotion and loyalty. I know many of you in our church family who express this kind of love. I could name 10 people right now who are taking care of a loved one who is either sick or has Alzheimer's or who is just not able to take care of themselves anymore. That is this idea here of this unfailing love. No matter what happens to you, 
I will show you chesed. I am before you. I am unfailing. I am steadfast in my love towards you. Again, if you're on your notes, chesed is a concrete, action-taking love, even when it's unmerited. I want you to notice it's action Taking. It's not just saying, oh, I love you, and then doing nothing about it. Hesed is all about proving this kind of love that you have someone through the actions that you take towards them. 75% of the occurrences of this word in the Bible refer to God and his loyal and generous commitment to his often undeserving people. This is, as I already said, one of the most important aspects we have to know about God if we want to know who God is. In fact, this is so important. Did you know this word is the only word repeated in the text that we're looking at together right now? In this text, we read it right here, right? He's abounding in hesed and faithfulness. And then the next line, it says he maintains hesed to thousands. Now, we've talked about this before. This is good for you to remember in your own personal Bible study, which I sure hope that you're doing. But whenever an author repeats a word in Scripture, Your alarm bell should be going off saying there's something significant happening here. Ancient writers repeated things in order to show something important was going on. And so the Lord, Yahweh, repeats hesed, hesed twice, meaning this is one of the truest things there is about our God. He is spilling, overflowing with this kind of love. Now, just this morning, I read this really sad study done on Gen Z. We got any Gen Zers in the room right now? We got a few over here. Ron, you're not a Gen Zer. Why were you about to raise your hand? (laughs) When they were asked this question, what is the one thing they think about God? Do you want to know what their answer was? That he's angry with me. Who is this God? He's an angry God. That's what they answered to that. But here we say, no, no, no. God is a loving God. He's full of hesed. He's overfilling with hesed toward you. This word is used 127 times in the Psalms itself. 245 times in the Old Testament. In fact, one of my favorite examples, some of you know this Psalm, Psalm 136. It repeats this phrase again and again, right? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God. His hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lord. His hesed endures forever. It goes on like this for 26 verses, reminding us again and again that God is full of this love, this love, this compassion, this kindness, this action towards his people. Now we pair that with the word faithfulness, which is the word emet in Hebrew. It's really not as fun to say. If you're following, emet means maintaining allegiance no matter what. Maintaining allegiance no matter what. It has the idea of firmness and trustworthiness, reliability, and constancy, which if you noticed in Holly's video, this is one of the words she used again and again and again. God was just constant. He was just always there for me. Even when I maybe not was to kind of turn my back on him, he was just pursuing me. He's constant. She's describing perfectly this idea of God's emet. Now, interestingly enough, this word, some of you may have a different translation, can be translated as truth. God is full of truth. It's connected to the word we use for amen, right? Now, amen doesn't mean the end, 
When somebody says a prayer, that's kind of what we've reduced it today. It really means like, that's so true. That's so true. So if you hear somebody, when somebody's preaching and they go, amen, in the crowd, we have like one person in our church who actually does that. Pat Brown. I'm so thankful for Pat Brown. Thank you. It literally means that's true. Like when something just hits you in your bones that somebody's saying, you go, amen. That is so true. And we can trust that God and his promises are true. Every amen will be yes in the Lord. So let's, if you're following on your notes, I'm sorry. The idea here is we can count on Yahweh's character and promises as true. Other people in your life are going to let you down. Amen. Yahweh will never let you down. Now, similar to compassionate and gracious, like I mentioned, these two words are often combined together in Scripture. For example, in Psalm 89, this is kind of my own version of this. It says, I will sing of Yahweh's hesed forever. With my mouth I will make your emet known through all generations. I will declare your hesed stands firm forever, that you have established your emet in heaven itself. And then, this is one of those rare psalms, Yahweh actually breaks into the psalm in verse 28. You always want to pay attention when God speaks in the psalms, and here's what he says about the Messiah he's promising to send. I will maintain my hesed to him forever, and my covenant will be with him will never fail. I will not take my hesed from him, nor will I ever betray my emet. This is one of the many times these two words are combined to form this bigger idea here. It's one of the major themes of the entire Bible. It's one of the main reasons for worship in the Psalms. It sparks poetry and music and art and awe and gratitude and prayer and hope. And so I think the best way for us to understand the concept we're talking about today is to combine these two words into one big idea. If you're falling on your notes, here's the main idea. Yahweh is abounding in loyal love. Both of these words have this idea of loyalty behind them. He will never, ever abandon his people. He is faithful to the bitter end, no matter the cost. Or to put it another way, again, if you're following, while human love is conditional, Yahweh's love is unbreakable. Now, I know this raises some questions. Questions that many people ask today. For example, if God is loyal love, if this is true, how did I end up in an unhappy marriage? If God is loyal love, why didn't I make the sports team? If God is loyal love, why do I have a chronic illness now? If God is really love, how could my loved one have died in that way? I could go on. At times, let's just be honest, it's hard for us to see God's loyal love at work in this world and in our lives. And I want to get to the kind of the heart behind that question because it is such an important question. It's probably the most asked question today, right? If God is love, you hear it all the time. Then why would he allow these kinds of things to happen? And before I can kind of answer that, we first have to understand this idea of a covenant. I told you we'd come back to it, so here we go. We're going to talk about covenants. Covenants are not really a word we use anymore, are they? And yet we see them every day in our world. We just don't recognize it's going on. For example, if you watch the news or read the news, 
and President Biden commits to sending more arms to Ukraine. What is he doing there? He's making a covenant with Ukraine saying, we will supply you with the things that you need. He's making a covenant. This is the most important of concepts in the Bible. In fact, if you know the story of the Bible, the grand story of the Bible, it's all about Yahweh making covenants with his people. Many people have said, that's the best way for you to try to read through the Bible, right? See it as one big story, and the story is all about God entering into our world, making covenants with his people. Literally, the word testament, when we get Old Testament, New Testament means covenant. The old covenant and then the new covenant that we read about in Jesus and his blood. So what's a covenant? It's pretty simple if you're following. A covenant is a binding commitment. In the ancient Near East, which the Old Testament was written, a covenant was essentially a promise and a legal contract. Two or more people would make a promise to one another, then they'd sign a contract through a ceremony that I'm going to talk about in a minute that basically said, listen, if you break this deal, there's going to be some bad things that happen to you. The closest thing we have today in our modern world is what I just talked about, this covenant of marriage. Why I started the way I did, right? When I say I do, what am I doing? I'm making a promise. I'm making a commitment, and then literally we sign a legal document in front of other witnesses saying, we're entering a covenant together, and you are our witnesses to this. And in the same way, amazingly, Yahweh chooses to enter into covenants with human beings, committing himself to them. The most important one we find beginning in Genesis chapter 12, Verses 1 and 3. This is the centerpiece of the entire Old Testament. You remember the story, right? God created the world. Chuck referred to this. And it wasn't just okay. It was really, really good. Unfortunately, sin entered to the world and it broke that everything that God had planned. It broke the, the earth itself. It broke our relationship with one another. And it broke our relationship with God. And he could have just left it there. But he chooses to continue to pursue his people because what he wants most is the relationship with his people. And so he calls this random guy, this Bedouin, this idol worshiper named Abram. We know him as Abraham. And he says this to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You can see it on the screen. Then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Notice all the I will language. That's covenant language. God is making these tremendous promises to Abraham and his family that lead up to this idea that one day in this promise, all nations of earth will be blessed through you. It's a staggering promise. But please pay careful attention to the content of it. Look at what John Mark Comer says about this promise. God does not promise Abraham an easy, carefree life with money in the bank and a condo in Kauai. God does promise to bless Abraham, but if you know the story, Abraham's life was anything but a walk in the park. 
The guts of the promise is that Abraham's family will function as a conduit, a medium, for Yahweh to spread his life-giving, regenerative blessing over every square inch of the earth. This is so true because it's not until three chapters later in Genesis, which is many, 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 many years in Abraham's life. And this promise has still not been fulfilled by Yahweh. To Abraham, it looks like Yahweh is not a promise-keeping God. He is not a God of loyal love. Years have passed, and he and Sarah still don't even have a child. So how could he possibly, how could he possibly fulfill this kind of promise? Is he really a God of loyal love? Enter Genesis 15, and I'm going to actually invite you, if you've got your Bible with you, turn to Genesis 15. We're going to walk through this text. It'll be on the screen too, but you can find it on page 11 in your black Bibles in the seat underneath you there. I will give you a warning. This is a really weird text, but it's key to helping us understand Yahweh's loyal love. We'll actually pick it up in verse one, which says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? That was his servant. And I want you to pause here and just see who else asks the why question. Sometimes we put people like Abraham on pedestals, but here he is. Lord, if you're really a God of loyal love, why haven't you fulfilled your promise to us yet? Abraham then goes on in verse three to offer God his own plan. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. This is the old, I'll take care of this my own way plan, God. You ever been there? Tried that one? I did that in high school with what we call missionary dating, right? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'll take care of this with my own plan, Lord. Then Yahweh responds to him this way in verses four through five. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then we read one of the most amazing verses in the entire Bible. Let's read it out loud together on the screen there. It says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. But from here, this is where the story really gets interesting. Yahweh enacts a covenant with Abraham. Let's pick it up in verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Again, you haven't fulfilled any of these promises yet. How do I know you're actually going to be loyal in your commitment to me? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. This is getting weird, isn't it? What's going on here? Well, basically, the Lord is asking Abraham to do something that he would have been very familiar with in his day called cut a covenant. Literally, if you made a covenant with someone, let's say, hey, I'm going to give you this well, and you're going to give me money for it, you would literally cut an animal in half 
and each of you would walk through that animal, that would be almost like the legal signing that we would do saying, if we do not keep this covenant, may we become like this animal. Now, little pause here, kind of an interesting thing, right? I think when we do weddings today, one of the reasons we have like the groom's family sit on one side and the bride's family sit on the other side, and then the bride walks through the middle of it, it's almost like this statement of, I am now leaving this and I'm entering into a new commitment, a new relationship, a new covenant with this man. Here's where things get really interesting. And here's what I want you to do while you're reading this. I have a point to this, I promise. We're going to come back to God's loyal love. But I want you to notice what makes this covenant different than the covenants I just explained. Verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Of course, he's talking about Egypt here, right? He's referring like there's going to be a time when the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now he's talking about the Exodus. You, however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at an old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. Now, Yahweh ratifies the covenant. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And then it goes on, verses 20 to 20, 19 through 21, mentioning a bunch of names that I can't pronounce that he promises to Abram. Okay, weird stuff. Like I said, this all has a point. Did you notice any difference between this covenant and the covenants that Abraham would have been familiar with in his day? We're told Abraham does what God tells him to do and then he waits, something he's really used to at this point in his life. Finally, God comes to him, explains that none of these things are gonna be, that I promise you, are gonna happen in your lifetime, but they will be fulfilled. And then God shows up in the form of a smoking fire pot and walks through the center of those cut animals. By the way, smoking fire pot, what's that about? Well, God often comes in the form of fire, an idea of holiness, Who does not pass through those animals? Abraham. Remember, in a covenant, both parties were to pass through those animals. But in this particular covenant, only Yahweh passes through the covenant, meaning only Yahweh is bound to keep his commitment to Abraham. If you're on your notes, Yahweh makes an unconditional, one-sided covenant. Yahweh is saying, hey, no matter what, I am going to keep my word. And I'm not going to lay any stipulations on you. I'm going to make promises to you, Abraham. You don't have to make promises to me. No conditions attached. This is a covenant of grace. Grace based entirely on my loyal love to you. It's as if Yahweh is saying that even if Abraham and his children don't keep their end of the bargain, I mean, not like we ever do that, right? We always keep our, no, we don't. It's like Yahweh knows us. It's like Yahweh knows his people, Israel, are going to turn away from him again and again. He says, even then, 
I will keep my promise because I am a God of loyal love. The rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible is about Yahweh keeping this covenant to his people even when they walk away from him, failing miserably again and again and again. And then, one day an angel shows up in the home of a teenage girl and he says to her, you are going to bear God's son. Yahweh is fulfilling the covenant he made with Abraham 2,000 years earlier through you, Mary. And some of you know Mary's famous song she sings after that. It's called the Magnificat. She understands how this story is being told and how it's all coming together. Look at what she sings in chapter 1, verses 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. The word merciful there in Greek is the same idea. Remembering his loyal love to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She knows. She knows what's happening. The Lord is fulfilling 2,000 years later the commitment he made to Abraham that he will bless through him all nations. She sees that even though Abraham and Israel and we could not come through on our end of the bargain, God always comes through because he is a God of loyal love. If you're following on your notes, in Jesus, Yahweh fulfills his covenant to bless all nations. The Bible is the story of a God of loyal love initiating and fulfilling everything he promises because he knows we have no ability to do that on our own. It is the story where instead of a smoking fire pot, God enters into human history by sending his very own son, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. It is the story, instead of sacrifices of animals, the son of God himself would be cut and bleed. It is the story of one who walked through the path of death so that we might walk through the path of life. The Bible, the Christian faith, is the story of a God of loyal, unconditional, one-sided love because not one of us, not one of us could fulfill the covenant in our own strength. We cannot be made right with God on our own. And if you're following, here's the incredible news. We call this the gospel. Like Abraham, our only response is faith. And then you are made righteous. When you see Jesus for who he is, and you receive his gift in faith, Yahweh looks at you, just like he did with Abraham, and says, I see you now as righteous. I see you as my son. I see you as my daughter. You're adopted into my family. You're welcome to my throne. You are my heir forever and ever. All because we fulfilled our end of the bargain. No! All of us have sinned and gone our own way. It's all because Yahweh is a God of loyal love. All because thousands of years ago, Yahweh made a promise. When Israel failed, he still fulfilled his promise. When we fail, he still fulfills his promise. This is the heartbeat, the heartbeat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's what the most famous verse in the Bible is all about. This has echoes of Exodus 34. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, 
But let's read John 3.16 out loud together. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because Yahweh is chesed, chenemet. We have life. How is that possible? Because Jesus took all your failure, all your sin, all your brokenness. He dragged it to the cross. He absorbed it in his death. And then he claimed victory over it when he walked out of the grave three days later. If you're following the cross and resurrection, prove God's loyal love. Again, to quote Comer, this is why the writers of the New Testament are constantly quoting from the old. For them, the gospel starts in Genesis 12, not Matthew 1. Yahweh made a promise, and he was faithful to the point of death, and he's still not done. He will keep all his promises. Jesus will return and see to it done. And it's because of Yahweh's love and faithfulness that we can look forward to a world set free from the entropy of death. We can hope for this, plan on it, bank on it. That'd be a great time for an amen, right? Like, that's true. Now, back to our question that we are asking today, the question most people ask. Let's be real about this. If this is true, why does it feel this way? If this is true, why is my wife 90 years old, God, and still not having a child, as Abraham would say, right? If Yahweh is loyal love, why did my dad die when I was 10? If Yahweh is loyal love, why did our marriage end in divorce? If Yahweh is loyal love, why was I just diagnosed with cancer? If Yahweh is loyal love, why am I so lonely and depressed and in so much pain? There are no easy answers to that. But all I would say when somebody asks that question is look to the covenant. Look to the covenant. What did God promise you? An easy life? What did he promise Abraham? Health, wealth, and prosperity as some seem to teach today in the church? No. When Yahweh says he is loyal love, he doesn't promise you'll never experience suffering. A lot of people, in particular American Christians, misinterpret this to mean that God is promising me the same thing America promises me, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what it means to follow Jesus. No. He does not promise those things. And so when tragedy strikes or the economy goes south like it is right now, we start to think God is not fulfilling his covenant. How can he really be a God of loyal love? But that's a misreading. It's a misreading of his covenants. God never said you'd live trouble-free. Honestly, Jesus said the complete opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. What's his promise? But take heart. For I have overcome the world. And that right there is the key to understanding the why questions. If you're falling on your notes, our hope is not in this world. It's in the perfect world to come. A new world that was guaranteed when Jesus stepped out of the grave. Yes, things are going to go horribly wrong in this world. But the new covenant in Jesus' blood promises, this world's not the end. It's going to pass away with all of its evil and suffering, and pain, and hardships, and the same Jesus who rose from the dead will return, and he will usher in a new heaven, a new earth, free from pain, free from tears, free from suffering. 
where every one of his promises will be yes and amen. God's promise to you is that because of Jesus and your faith in him, one day in time, he's going to finish what he started. And all these crooked things we see every day will be made straight. If you're following, God will be faithful to his promise like he's always been, no matter what. No matter how many times you turn your back on him, no matter how many questions we ask, God is greater. And that's what it means. This is what it means. That our God is abounding in loyal love. It's what makes him different from anyone or anything else. I mean, let's just be real here. When life gets hard for us, a lot of us just want to quit. When it's no longer easy or fresh or fun or new, when it gets difficult or uncomfortable or boring, we just want to leave. We leave jobs, we leave cities and churches and friendships and marriages. We just want to cut ties and move on. Yahweh is not like that. He is loyal love. I love how Sharon Hody Miller puts it. I'll close with this. You can read this on the screen with me. You don't have to do it out loud. Jesus will not disappoint you. Jesus will not manipulate you. Jesus will not betray you. Jesus will not flake out on you. Jesus will not gaslight you. Jesus will not keep you guessing as to whether or not you are loved. Because Jesus' love is not like human love. He is loyal love. So friends, if you're following on your notes, this is the only question I want you to answer today. This is who our God is. Do you know him personally? Because that's what he wants most. It's why he created you. It's why he came after you, even when sin entered the world. It's why he entered into a covenant. It's why he sent his son in the flesh to know you personally. And all you have to do is follow Abraham's example. Believe in his son and you will be counted as righteous and holy and pure now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for the chance this week to reconsider this idea, this word love. I think it's just lost so much of its meaning today, but I'm grateful for the reminder that with you, love means commitment, means loyalty, constancy, faithfulness, never ending, always pursuing. And Lord, if there are some in this room today who maybe carry that idea that you're just angry with them or they're not worthy or they fail too much and too often. Speak the truth. You're greater than that. You came to conquer that, to invite them into a new life with you. And so even now, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, just join me in praying, oh Lord, I have walked away from you. I have not kept my commitment to you or to others. I try to find my hope and life in this world. I turn from that right now and I turn to you, the only place of hope. I look to your son on a cross and in faith I believe he took my place. And I receive that believing this 
will bring me righteousness and life and purity and wholeness and oneness with you now and forever. If you prayed that, you're in the covenant. An unbreakable promise of God for you. Rejoice. For this is the day the Lord has made you new. And if he's done that with you already, we just remind ourselves again. Though we are unloyal, he is always loyal. Give him thanks for that. Just spend a moment thinking about who he is and what he's done for you. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.